What up, Chu? Good. What's up, RP? Man, man, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Sophie? Hi, Brian. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. Welcome to our boardroom. It's really ugly and boring. <laughs> Room Raider would be so ashamed of me right now. <laughs> we move the change. You hear what I'm saying? Real players can relate because they the ones that was playing. Be great. Be just great. wait. Yeah. We be really in the field. Really. Now we really on the mic. Speaking truly how we... Welcome to Move the Chains. Um, I am your host, Ryan Phillips. Um, I am so pleased to be able to have these two with me today. Uh, we're going to touch on a subject that is definitely uh, to the forefront of issues that are taking place right now, community-wise, uh, society-wise. Um, it's making a tremendous impact on all of us. Uh, one thing I do want to touch on is the fact that, yes, we are a football-based show, but this is football family, and uh, family is everything. And I always preach that we are more than athletes. Uh, we have a community that we are responsible for. Uh, we have family. Uh, we have friends. And we're humans at the end of the day. So uh, uh, this show is about diversity and inclusion. But at the same extent, like I said, we want to be able to touch on subjects that are impacting us personally or even community-wise. So then that way we can make some type of impact to try to make sure that we can rectify the situation. Um, if you've been paying attention to social media, news, you'll see that uh, the hate crimes against the Asian community is definitely at the forefront right now. Um, it's something that is impacting our community in a negative fashion. And, you know, I want to present a platform for us to be able to speak on it, um, how it's impacted family, friends, um, and things that we could do to try to rectify the situation as best as possible. Um, two guests that I have with me today um, are friends of mine, people that I know have an impact on community, uh, have an impact even on media, but also, like I said, are willing to be transparent and willing to talk about the things that maybe should be done or maybe how we can make things better for not even just them, but they're, you know, for family and even loved ones that we have and have personal relationships ourselves. Um, I want to be able to introduce them now, first and foremost, my guy, Brian Chu. I've known for a while, played against him. He played for that terrible team in Montreal, <laughs> you know, but it's all good. You know, they, they got lucky and won a few great cups, but now nah, Brian, uh, he's from Vancouver. Um, like I said, coaching now still um, played 13 years, won three great, great cups, was most outstanding lineman. I might have to go back to the votes and make sure, <laughs> but, uh, you know, won the award and things like that. So like I said, had a very successful career, but is very, like I said, impactful in the community and impactful in the sense of making an impact on kids and teenagers and things like that that are coming up now, even from a coaching standpoint, but also from a personal standpoint. Um, also, I have Sophie Louie, uh, TV anchor for Global, for Global News, even started out doing radio first you know, and mm -hmm. things like that. But like I said, has now transitioned um, and been now doing TV for a while. Um, like I said, on one of the more premier, um, you know, news stations that we have um, to make an impact on our community and so forth. And when I say our, I say our, because like I said, I've been a part of Vancouver for a long time now. So this is my backyard as well. So Seattle is first home, but Vancouver is definitely second. So, you know, with that being said, you know, definitely want to uh, thank you guys for coming on. Thank you guys for taking the time. Um, obviously we've seen the things that's going on right now. Um, I touched on earlier how our show is about diversity and about inclusion, but just right now, you know, just to kind of lead it out before we jumped all the way into it, the word diversity, I think is thrown around a lot. Um, and I think that everybody's perspective of what that is and what that looks like is, you know, uh, it varies from person to person. So, you know, for me, I want to lead out by asking you guys, like, what does that word mean, you know, mean to you guys, um, you know, and also like has your perspective of diversity and how it's been embraced by the community, has that changed 
based on the things that's taking place right now amongst your community, amongst friends, amongst family. How is that, you know, how how's that whole word changed maybe for you from a personal standpoint? And how is that, um, you know, being embraced by the by society, um, by social media and things like that to the forefront? Um, I guess I'll start off with you, Sophie. Um, how do you feel about that right now at this point? Well, I think diversity has has evolved for me, like, you know, over the years. I've been in media for 20 something, 20 plus years now. And um, and it's something we talked about in the beginning of my career, but I definitely think it's it's evolved and grown and hopefully still has more room to grow. I think in the beginning of my career, it was thought of as more of a, like a lip service thing, mm-hmm. like just something you had to do. I remember when I uh, started out that uh, I had a, um, a prospective employer. He was interviewing me for the job, for a, a job at a, a radio station. And he said something to me about, he didn't, I didn't get the job which I'm glad for. But anyway, he's, he said something about how we already have our experiment in employment equity um, because they already had one Asian person working on the staff at that time. So it was something employers at that time knew they had to do. Mm-hmm. But I think now it's, I hope, something that employers want to do and, and see the importance of it. And I, I feel like we're moving in, in the right direction. And, and you know, in, internally for me as well, because probably back then I didn't really think about it much. When I was younger, I didn't think that I needed, I didn't think, I, I, I was raised to think we're all equal. Mm-hmm. And so I just believed it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's interesting that, you know, the innocence of youth, you, you really think that we're all equal. And then as you get older, you realize, oh, hang on a second. No, we're not. Right. And and so I now I think that I not only know it's something we we um, have to do to fill, you know, to to show our viewers that we are diverse, but it's something we we should do behind the scenes as well so that we have a diversity of opinions and a diversity of of backgrounds to just add to the richness and the depth of our stories. So that's how it's evolved for me over the years. Two, what about you? Some tough stuff to follow, but <laughs> I, would, I would agree with a lot of what Sophie's saying, though. Um, to me, diversity is really just about inclusion. Um, growing up in Vancouver, I really didn't see color, believe it or not. I mean, it was a lot of Asian kids in my school. And for me, playing football is a game that's really not quite, wasn't really accepted among the Asian community. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember... Mm-hmm my mom and my aunts were, they're really against it. They thought it was a game of violence and um, Asians didn't belong in that game. So I didn't really feel, I didn't, for me, the biggest thing was I didn't realize my color until I went to the United States. Mm-hmm. That was the big moment for me when I went to the States and I just looked around. I'm like, I've never played with a black guy in Vancouver. I never did. And I was just looking around and I'm like, holy cow, I'm the minority here. And mm-hmm. that's the first time I actually felt it. I actually, I heard remarks. I just, it was tough in the beginning because I was getting it from both sides. And me being the minority, I always had that, had that voice in my head that I don't belong. 
And there were times I wanted to give up and just say, you know what? Okay, I don't belong. But then I kind of found my own inner strength, I guess, and just realized it was time that someone has to take that chance and just, because, I mean, we're talking about generations. I mean, my kids, uh, they're, they're all going to have to walk behind us, right? So we can create that path for them, make their lives a little easier. Um, but really diversity in general to me is it's become such a hot topic now and um, with COVID and how how um, a lot of Asians are getting attacked and I think culturally Asians in general have been a lot more passive and non-confrontational mm-hmm. um, I know my parent my mom my aunts they'd rather walk away you know they're not going to fight they don't believe in that violence. And I'm not talking about all of them. I'm just saying the older generation and from what I know. And I think that could be almost seen as um, weak by some people. Right. So just a little. Yeah, no, no, that's that's the real. Um, I feel like um, some of the things that take into perspective is I think there's a thing of lack of representation. Right. Mm-hmm. When there's a lack of representation, that means there's a lack of viewpoint and perspective that's being shared. And sure. when you're not feel like that you have a seat at the table or you are being represented um, to be able to share your stories or perspective, I think now to that point, everybody has the platform to make assumption mm-hmm. or say, oh yeah, I understand what you feel, but don't really know directly. Sure. Or you know, it comes to a point where now you can't voice your opinion. And that leads me to the next thing of talking about the lack of representation um, or the lack of you know presence. Um, to be able to share your stories and share that, um, you know, direct impact and how it affects your family and things like that. Um, I think it's imperative for us to be able to have, whether it's this platform or some other platforms, to be able to express and say, okay, yeah, this is how it's impacting us. This is what it's doing to us. This is what's doing it to my family. This is what's doing to my community. Um, how much do you think that's really playing a factor as far as the lack of representation? I feel like, like I said, those things all go kind of hand in hand. Um, when it comes to actually getting real data, when it comes to getting real facts or real perspective and getting a direct, you know, uh, feel of exactly how what's impacting our community. Um, I guess Chu Ali would lead with you on that one. Like, how do you think that's going? I mean, that's a great question, RP. I think culturally, though, a lot of, um, I'm talking about the older generations, like my mom and my aunts. Again, they're scared to speak up. They just, don't, they almost want to be just in the background of things, you know, and uh, they don't want to stir anything. They don't want to make trouble. They just want to live and be quiet. And sometimes that could be to a detriment, you know, at some points, people got to speak up. Um, my sisters and my, my sisters face a lot of racism stuff in BC. And, uh, but I always found what's unique is the ones that are getting attacked are the elderly or women. I've never had that happen to me here. And I haven't. And uh, it's hard for me because I'm like, if I'm with you, would they treat you the same? So it's almost a bullying thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, for example, my sister's up in Prince George and she went to Costco. So she bought a lot of things and a lady looked at her. She goes, oh, it must be Welfare Friday. And I, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, wait, wait, my sister and her husband are both dentists. They're up in Prince George. They just kind of looked and now, you know what? And as educated as my sister is, she didn't respond, but she just chooses not to go there anymore. Mm-hmm. but that's not really what we're trying to do we're not trying to give up like so me and my sister had that same discussion now do we need to start talking about this it shouldn't deter you from going somewhere because they win you know mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. examples like that mm-hmm. you, you've, you've never when you were growing up did you ever mm-hmm. have any run-ins brian like 
name calling or fights or anything like that? No, I've never gotten a fight in my life. I've never gotten no, in really? a fight. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've been very. I've been in a fight, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, not not here in Vancouver. Not until I, I didn't feel the racism stuff until I went to the United States. Okay. Even, yeah, even when I got married, I mean, my my wife at the time, she's white, and um, I never felt any uh, racism, I guess, until yeah. I crossed the border when we we're driving to Florida. Then I would see the eyes, like oh. the way that, like you know. Some people look at you. They look at you differently, you know? Yeah. Sometimes I even, f I feel the re reverse racism from Chinese. I can understand them talking about us, you know, saying, what, are, what am I doing with her kind of thing? It goes both ways. Right, right. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. I've often felt like, um, like I don't fully fit into Chinese culture mm -hmm. and I don't fully fit into Canadian. I'm not Canadian enough and I'm not Chinese enough. I agree with you completely. And were were you born and raised here, Brian? I was born and raised here. Yes, I was. So born so was I. And I think that people like Brian and me are sort of caught in the middle, yes. in some ways, because yeah. we have these, you know, um, immigrant parents. Yes. Um, who, yeah. and my mom is very Western, mm -hmm. but still, she she was an immigrant, and so there's a sort of there's there are differences. And then I've got Canadian culture and I, I never learned to speak Cantonese or Mandarin. Um, so Chinese people who only spoke Cantonese didn't, they couldn't communicate with me and sort of looked at me funny. And then um, my white friends, cause I grew up in a very white neighborhood mm -hmm. at the time it was very white. Um, and you know, they're friendly, but of course I was, I went to a lot of different elementary schools and I was always placed with the one other Asian kid who was in class who I probably had nothing in common with because they're not well right. they're, they're they're not necessarily Chinese they might be yeah. Taiwanese they might be That's Korean right. but they placed me with that girl yeah. and we really have nothing in common it's just because we kind of look alike <laughs> right <laughs> that's true and you just sort of yeah. I mean you get used to it too um you do. You and do. you just sort of think you that's do. the way that's just the way life is mm-hmm yeah, I mean, yeah. I think we get a lot of stereotypes. I mean, just, you know, you're Asian, you got to be good at math, piano, this, that. I mean, we, we get it. Bad, you, all those things. You know, <laughs> me too, me too, you and me both. But, but like, I think pa our parents have a different expectation of us too. You know, um, they expected us to ha hit certain levels in academia, you know, and whereas um, it was always about an image, which, um, which has kind of changed over time now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think life experiences obviously, you know, say help you, you know, saying guide yourself and realizing, you know, what was reality to you at 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. Now, mm -hmm. as a grown adult, now you're having to encounter some other things, uh, mm -hmm. you know, as being an adult now. And now, you know, as a parent and things like that, now you're actually trying to make sure that they understand what reality really does look like. You know, obviously they're not going to be able to get the full sense of it, but you know, your job as a parent and you know, as someone that's an impactful in the community, you want to try to guide them as best as possible and try to prepare them, you know, for things to take place. Obviously some of the things that's taking place right now, you can't really prepare for. I mean, the incidents that's happening right now, I don't think there is a preparation for, you know, um, there's all kinds of stories that are surfacing and that's just the ones that's being reported. You know, that's just the ones that's coming to the forefront. Um, Obviously, based on the things that's happening, um, I'll gear this more towards you, Sophie, due to the fact that um, the incidents that are being reported, obviously, like 70% of them are women, mm -hmm. um, you know, and obviously they've been, you know, to the forefront as far as being targets. 
um, whether that's, you know, due to the fact that it's, you know, men mostly doing these um, types of uh, actions and activities. Um, how impactful has it been to you as far as functioning on a daily? Um, I, I feel like, you know, there's obviously times where you might be a little bit more conscious, more aware of your surroundings, you know, obviously your approach on, you know, for day-to-day -day activity, just like Brian touched on, just going to the store. I mean, it could be anyway, you know, anywhere where things like that have happened. Do you find yourself functioning a little bit differently now? Do you find yourself a little bit more aware, you know, or even talking to your friends and family a little bit differently, just based on them being more aware or being more, you know, conscious of their day-to-day -day interaction? Like, how has it impacted you personally? Well, I, I think maybe like, like Brian, I haven't really faced a lot of it lately, uh, not in recent years anyway. When I was younger, yes, there was more blatant stuff, but I don't know if it's that I get recognized and so people don't say what they might say to some other Asian person. Maybe it's that, or um, maybe it's just, I'm <laughs> A bit spaced out when I'm walking around, and I just don't even. Know. Maybe they are saying stuff. I'm not. I'm not noticing it. I sometimes wish this is probably not a good thing, but I sometimes wish that that someone would say something to me, yeah. so that I can just throw it right back at them. But no, that it doesn't. Yeah. I, I don't think about it much for my own personal safety or well-being, but I think about it more in terms of my mom and my aunt and uncle who live in Vancouver, um, and then my. Uh, Chinese relatives who live in various parts of uh, the U.S. Mm -hmm. or the U.K. or you know, I worry about about the safety of the older generation of my family um, because they just it, they seem to be more targeted lately. Um, and then how how it has, I guess, directly affected me is it just makes me really sad and angry. It's it's just heartbreaking to see some of the stuff that's mm -hmm. going on and then you think it's your it's your aunt or your father or your mom so i'd, I'd say that's how it's yeah. impacted me but it but i think in a in a way because it makes me angry um it is it, it's making me think about these things more than i have in a very very long time maybe ever and wanting to take action more than I ever have. I think I sort of am like how Brian described or have been in the past, how Brian described that sort of passive, you know, don't, don't cause a fuss, just go about your business. Uh, but I don't really want to do that anymore. I, I don't want to see any members of the Asian community or any, any community be targeted. That's, it's just not right. So I, I don't want to be quiet anymore. Yeah, no, you reach a breaking point. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's just, and I think it's now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, you reach a breaking point. And, um, you know, I feel like, you know, when you are when you reach a breaking point, you expect some action to happen. Um, and I, you know, one thing that me and a couple of my friends had a discussion on literally just yesterday was, I feel like there's a hesitation by the powers that be, should I say when it comes to labeling things as hate crimes or not hate crimes. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is a, a problem and an issue. Um, you know, there was something that just took place in Atlanta. A guy walked in, obviously shot, you know, fire shots and things like that. Then he came out and admitted literally the next day that his plan was to go to Florida and continue to do the same thing. Like mm -hmm. blatantly admitted, like, yes, this is what I was doing. I'm going to target the next state and I'm going to keep it moving. But then they make the excuse of, 
sexual addiction, all these other things that have <laughs> nothing to do with the primary basis of the story, which he clearly made it evident. I am targeting <laughs> this, you know, a certain group of people. I feel like, you know, these are things that um, are hesitant um, for a number of reasons. And I just want to kind of get your opinion on that because I feel like, you know what I'm saying, if we literally just let it be known, okay, this is a hate crime. I feel like one, there must be either a few reasons why they don't want to put that out there. Where if it's the fear factor, you know, they don't want people to now start walking in fear community-wise, how it's going to impact them department-wise, whether that's police department or whatever the case may be. Why do you think there's a hesitation in just, you know, for me, I say calling it what it is. Why do you think there's a hesitation when it comes to labeling things hate crime-wise? Well, I mean, I think that it has put fear into the heart of the Asian community. Um, whether you call it a hate crime or not, that's how Asian people feel about it, that it was a hate crime. Mm -hmm. I think their hesitation from the police in Atlanta is probably because they may not be able to prove it in court. So legally, maybe it doesn't meet the legal definition of hate crime. I, I don't know how it's how it's prosecuted in Atlanta, but, uh, and, and maybe it wouldn't meet the legal definition of hate crime here in Canada either. I don't know, but um, that's probably why the, the officials are afraid to say it, or I don't know if afraid is the right word, but um, are reluctant to say it now because they they don't have the, the evidence or the proof legally. Mm -hmm. But from a human point of view, it's six East Asian women were killed. Mm. And, and these East Asian women, maybe, I don't know all the backgrounds, but you have to look at the layers too of why they were at these massage parlors in the first yep. place. Yep. Were they perhaps trafficked? Um, were they forced into that kind of um, occupation because there was no other occupation for right. them? Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are all sorts of racial layers to why they were there in the first place. So I think, can we call it a hate crime? Legally, I don't know, but I, I feel there was hatred in his heart. Um, and there, it strikes me that there definitely was racism and racialization involved in this shooting. Mm -hmm. To what about you? What do you think? Man, I agree. <laughs> I can't add much more to that, but it's to me, I felt that, I mean, I asked my mom what she thought. She's like, it's a hate crime. It's a hate crime. I mean, I don't, I don't know what, how you can work around that, but that's just my two cents. I can't add too much more to what Sophie just said. Yeah, no, it's, well, it's, and the hate crime, hate crime is like it. I heard this on, on a podcast last night, but a hate crime causes it, I guess it's supposed to cause fear or terror within a certain community. Mm -hmm. um, and even if the police in Atlanta aren't calling it a hate crime, it has caused fear sure. within the Asian community. That's 100%. So. It's just what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. as a business, but like some things to me are just black and white. Yeah. And there's yeah. no like no extra this or extra that. And I don't think you need certain evidence of it. Like if I willingly admitted to you that this is what I'm doing, I don't know how much more you need. I mean, that's just, and we talked about the human factor. Like to me, that's just human common sense to me. I don't need a you know, a law or a policy that sit up there justified to me the intentions of this man that was going out, obviously, with the intention to kill a certain group. Like there's there's nothing really more to me, you know, that I need to find out about. And that's where, you know, I feel like there's a disconnect 
Um, there's a disconnect in security, you know what I'm saying? And that's what I want to touch on as far as like, in you guys' perspective, as a, the things are happening right now, do you feel, you know, secure in the things that are taking place? Do you feel supported? Do you feel like, you know, your peers are, you know, valuing, you know, the things that are happening in your community? Um, I feel like, you know, there comes a point in time where you have to do more than just the social media repost, the social mm -hmm. media retweet, you know, and things like that, right? Like, I understand that I can sit back and say, well, yeah, it's not impacting me, but because I see it and it looks like the thing to do, let me go ahead and retweet it. Or now it looks like the thing to do, let me go ahead and post on Instagram or whatever the case may be. But there comes a breaking point, like we talked about before, where either you really feel supported, you feel secure, you feel good about the direction things are going, or, you know, you feel like, you know, there's definitely going to be some things that are going to be put into place, whether that's policy-wise or anything like that, that's going to help this situation. Right now, you know, just looking at it for what it is and being black and white, do you feel supported right now? Do you feel like, you know, people are having your best interest? Do you feel supported by your community or even by friends? Um, even if it's, you know, from a different race, you know, we all have, you know, a mixture of friends and, you know, family and things like that. Do you feel supported all around in regards to that? And I think, too, I'll go ahead and start with you. That's a, that's a tough one to me. Um, feeling supported, I would say, for the Asian community, probably not. But at the same time, in all fairness, I don't know if the Asian community has really reached out for help either. I think mm -hmm. it can go both ways, you know. Um, I th like I told you before, being so passive, a lot, a lot of the el elders haven't come forth publicly, or they didn't want to be, don't want to speak of this, you know. Just like for years, I had a debate with my mom and my aunts not too long ago about, you know, what's so funny is all this time we see how with the black lives matter and how the african-americans are being treated the asian like the asians in general we've always stood back we're quiet mm -hmm. but now it's the other way around and i'm seeing some people some asian organizations demanding that the black lives matter movement jump on with us kind of thing i'm mm -hmm. like it has to go both ways i mean you know that th there's more to it again like sophie is saying there's always layers right so that's mm -hmm. a big one for me yeah. I, I've definitely felt support from, um, for the most part, from my company. I, I mean, I have. There have been some instances where, you know, I, I have concerns about the way things were handled. But overall, I think mm -hmm. uh, I have support from my company, from my coworkers. And people have been reaching out to me. It's actually it surprised me the first person who reached out to me on Twitter just DM'd me to check in, basically to say, hey, I'm thinking about you, uh, I see you, and it surprised me. But then I had a few more messages like that and it was really nice, And I, but I almost felt like embarrassed. Yeah. Like it's not me, yeah. don't, yeah. you know, I, I wasn't hurt here, right. but then I guess I am hurting. So, you know, emotionally it's a hard thing. And I, I remember reaching out to um, some black folks after George Floyd was killed. And because I just, even though it didn't happen obviously directly to them, I felt like, God, this is awful. And I, I just felt like I needed to reach out to them. And, and now having people reach out to me, I feel like I sort of uh, understand what, what, what they were saying back then about how they were inundated a little bit right. and didn't really know mm -hmm. how to deal with the flood of messages that came in. Um, yeah. 
just to your point about um, about support, like the support we haven't asked for. Yeah, I think because we just have been, we have been passive and, and we, I think largely over the years, we just haven't even recognized ourselves that there's right. a, there's anti-Asian racism. So if we don't, if we refuse to recognize it ourselves or talk, uh, right. talk about it, then how are people spo- supposed exactly. to support us? Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, like you talked about being passive and things like that. And obviously there's been a, um, a lack of reporting, you know, that's going on when it comes to incidents and so forth. And there's a, a variation of barriers that people claim to be the reason for it. I mean, I think like you talked about culturally, you know, just, you know, kind of just going on and moving on, you know, especially from, you know, an elderly standpoint. Um, but obviously it's hard to uh, try to make a breakthrough when things aren't being reported and there's not enough data to support the things that is going on. Um, can you maybe speak on some of the other barriers that you think are taking place that are maybe preventing, you know, um, the reports preventing people? Is it just a fear factor? Uh, I think fear sometimes is enough. Uh, some people are just scared of it. Um, you know, people are sometimes are scared to do the interview. Some people are scared to, you know, put themselves out there, especially if their name is going to be associated with it. Um, you know, obviously there might be language barriers or anything like that of the sort. Um, what are some of the things that you know that you guys um, can maybe touch on that, you know, what if it's from experience or just know that maybe prevent, you know, prevent the reporting and prevent, you know, people want to come to the forefront and speak on it. I think what you said, RP, is pretty much what it is. It's fear of the language barrier is always an issue. Um, and it's the fear of the unknown, what's going to happen, right? Um, to put to put yourself out there. I just think of my mom, my mom putting herself out there and, like you said, getting her name out there that, you know, she's reporting something. She doesn't understand what kind of backlash. It's just the fear of the unknown of what could possibly happen, right? I mean, we're to the point now where I don't want her to go out by herself, you know? Because yeah. someone could just push her over. You don't. You just don't know. So, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's our whole family's kind of pretty wound up about this right now. Anyway. Oh, and that's that's such a shame. Be- mm-hmm. You know, she she can't live her life the way she should be able to. I know, and we're in Richmond, and I'm like in Richmond. The it, majority of them is Asian anyway. We should be, you know, she should feel safe. But she's yeah. had plenty of run-ins in Richmond, whether it's you know the way she's parking or. For example, she was driving, and I get, I've seen this quite a bit. You see a lot of Asians leave their masks on in the car, and people get upset with that. They're like, oh, you can't, you guys are idiots. You can't catch COVID in the car. Well, the real reason behind why we tell my mom to do it, because sometimes she forgets to put it on after. So we say, Uh when you leave your house, put it on, and just don't take it off till you come home. Because there are times she'll take it off, and then she'll leave it. And so we tell her, just leave it on. But you hear the comments, right? She's heard those comments from people driving by so it becomes she just tense all the time the minute she walks out the door yeah I think um so there's fear there's language like you said and I also think like Brian mentioned earlier you just don't want to make a fuss Mm -hmm. so if it's just a little thing like you know I wasn't really injured it was just a shove or someone just spat spat in my face um, or something like that. I mean, I, now in COVID times, I guess we would report it if <laughs> yeah. someone spat in your face. But, uh, you know, if it's, if it's something like that, I, I was, I had a guy spit in my face many, many years ago. Um, and I just yelled at him. I didn't report it or anything. You, wish to, mm-hmm. you just don't yeah. want to make a fuss. It's not a big deal. I didn't get really hurt. I was just, 
really pissed off. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those it's, it's like there are bigger things to think about. I mean, I, and really when it comes down to it, these are the little things that build up into the big things, That's but right. we, we have this mindset, which is deeply ingrained in us. Don't cause a fuss. That's it. Just go about your business. Right. To me, one time is enough. I mean, that's, I don't think you need thousands and thousands of numbers to sit up there and say, yeah, we have a problem. Like it's, it's definitely a problem. And it's definitely a problem in the sense that one, everybody should be able to be comfortable in their own skin. Let's just call it what it is. Like they should be able to be comfortable in their own skin, but also the same extent, if I can't even go to the store, I can't go to my mailbox. I can't go to the post office or whatever the case may be without feeling a sense of insecurity, a sense of, you know, fear and things like that. Then that's a problem. And that brings me to like the conclusion of what, like what's next? You know, I, like, I like to ask what's next, what should we be doing? How can we impact it? Do you think there should be some policies maybe that take place? Should there be some other things like that that should be coming to the forefront? Do you think there's an opportunity for even government officials to do more? Um, and this is full circle. Like I said, we're seeing this in the States. We're seeing this in Canada. We're seeing it everywhere. Um, you know, and my thing is really more of the fact that, yes, this is Asian hate crimes, but also to the same extent, like we're seeing battery and things like that just against women, mm-hmm. like in general, like you're seeing women now being to the forefront as far as abuse. And now, you know, I hate to say it where you're seeing more so people having more willingness to be out in the open about abuse towards women. Like it's mm-hmm. now seems like now it's catapulted. Like, okay, yeah, I'm seeing it now. And even if I'm not directing towards a, a specific culture, just domestic violence and everything else towards women in general are is now being not, I'm not gonna say not frowned upon, but people are more willing now to say, okay, yeah, this is how I'm reacting. This is how I'm acting now. Yeah. What do you think some of the things that maybe we need to be doing or what we should be doing or how can we try to rectify the situation as best as possible um, in this regard, as far as women, as far as obviously Asian culture, um, how can, you know, how can people help, you know, how can, you know, people come to the forefront and, you know, be protective and, you know, guide in that sense or you know try to lend a lend a uh, lend a hand or you know whatever it is like what are some of the ideas that you think maybe can take place to try to help rectify the situation as best as possible i did uh on the newscast yesterday we had um i think four or five stories in a row about women being victimized mm-hmm. and you know went anywhere from um this woman being followed yes. for 40 minutes in uh, Chinatown and um, uh, Tinseltown to, um, you know, inappropriateness in a massage uh, therapy session to, I think, two women who died, who were killed. And we don't know all the details of those stories, but four or five stories in a row of women being victimized and men, I went home and poured myself a drink because I was just done. Mm -hmm. So thank you for bringing that up because uh, no matter what color they are, it just was that women are really just objectified and victimized like that is uh, it's chilling. Um, Sorry, my phone's ringing. I'm trying not to look at it. Um, it, It's just chilling and disheartening. But what are the answers? I don't think I have any, like, great aha 
answers. I think that talking about it is really important. And I was, I'm afraid to talk about it. Um, I'm afraid, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid to be on this podcast right now. I'm, I'm, I was asked to do another podcast like in a couple of weeks and I'm, I'm going to do it, but I'm afraid to mm -hmm. because I'm afraid of feeling the emotions that come with it. I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. I'm, I, I'm uncomfortable being a spokesperson, if you will, mm -hmm. for people in my community. Um, but I feel like it's, it's time to talk about it. And, you know, with the caveat that I don't know everything and I, I don't speak for everyone, but this is my personal experience. So I think forums like this, like what you're doing, are really important and um, and just reason discussion, like not angry discussion, like you see on Twitter, but mm -hmm. but genuine conversation, listening to people, um, and really trying to understand what they're saying. I, I think those things are really important. Like I said, it's not a eureka moment, but that's, <laughs> that's what I'm about right now. Sure. Um, for for me, I mean, I think the any of the stigma of um, uh, being quiet, al allowing, like whether it's getting into the community, into the, the into in Chinatown and talking to some of the older generations and allowing them to know that, giving giving them permission to speak up. I know it's a it's tough being how they were brought up is just to keep everything closed off, but just allowing them to have a voice and knowing that they're safe in doing so, that there's going to be no negative repercussions from this. And just, again, like what Sophie says, communicating, talking. Uh, that's one of the biggest things within the Chinese culture. Um, just speaking from my own experiences is having that form of communication with each other and being open and being vulnerable. That's been such a tough thing that I think uh, the younger generations are starting to understand. I think it, it's not too late for the older generations either, you know, um, to show love, to show affection, to show vulnerable vulnerability, weakness, all those kind of things. I think the more we talk about it, the more we become comfortable expressing ourselves. So when things like these do happen, that they can go ahead and report it and realize that the community has their back. Yeah, I think that we need to, um, one thing I like to touch on is the fact that we have the ability to touch whoever, whenever now, like there's no time like the present that we have right now. Like we have the capability of creating dialogue, perspective and opinion. Um, you know, I have a 14 year old son and an eight year old son. And when everything was taking place and even now the things that are taking place when they, you know, if I happen to pass by the news or pass by, you know, something like that, this is what they're seeing. And this is now the topic of discussion every single time, you know, this is the topic of discussion at dinner, at the dinner table, not, Hey, how was school today? Hey, you know, let's go to the park or let's do this tent. Like, it's like, dad, why are these things happening? Can you help me understand? You know, well, my friend is, you know, Asian, but, you know, I, I would never want to do that. And I look at him as he's my best friend and he's this, that, and other. And I'm like, how am I explaining this to an eight-year-old? You know, like, hey, well, everybody doesn't think like you, Braylon. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the best way I try to put it. But, you know, like I said, or like you touched on, Sophie, the, the idea of a, of a young kid and the idea of the things that he's being taught. And I want to ask this last question um, to some degree. Sometimes things are things that you learn 
some things are things that you just honestly are, are being taught at a young age. Mm-hmm. How much of a factor do you think uh, these type of hate crimes comes from a factor of being taught in your household from a young age? I'm gonna, I'm not gonna lie. For me personally, I, I think it's more one of those 80 20 rules. I think 80% a lot of times, honestly, I think these are things that are being taught in the household to some degree. Like this is things that they have grown up knowing. These are things that they've seen their parents or heard their parents speak about or heard their parents, you know, talk talk about, you know, a certain race or a certain culture in a discriminating fashion. How much of a factor do you think that really plays in the hate crimes that we're seeing right now? Well, I think that you're right. I think that a lot of it is, I don't think kids are born that way. I definitely don't want to think that kids are born that way. And I think like, um, you know, Brian, you said you, you, when you were growing up, you didn't really think about right. color that much, but I, I think that's because kids, kids really don't right. when they they just see their friend they want to play with, yeah. but then as they get older, then suddenly they start to see color. We all do because that's what society teaches us. And it's definitely, it comes from our household the people who are raising us, what they're teaching us, whether they think they're teaching it or not. Um, we learn by hearing what they say. We learn by the actions that they take. And then everything we see in society and, and the media and how, um, you know, if we're talking about uh, r- different races, like how different races are portrayed in, in the media and Hollywood and in the news, um, you know, the stories that we choose to do, I think that all of that is, pardon me, contributes to um, to what will shape a person. It doesn't mean everyone's going to go the way of the guy in Atlanta, right. you know, definitely not, but uh, we're definite, we are, sh- we're shaped by the people who raised us and, and the people who we're surrounded by and what we, what we witness in society. I agree completely with what Sophie's saying too. Uh, kids are born when like a blank canvas, right? We get to paint them, right? By how we raise them, how we teach them. But society has a big say in it, in their environment, in their neighborhoods, in their upbringing. And uh, a lot of that, the way they're brought up at home, I think a lot of it, if it's racially like issues, I think a lot of it's ignorance, just not knowing you know, uh, that's always been a big thing, even in the Asian community, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I remember being gr- growing up and like, uh, some of my aunts and they, they, they didn't know how to act around people of color. And it's almost like, I'd look at them. I remember looking at them, like, why are they hanging on to their purses like that? Why are they doing this? I'm like, these are just people. Like as a kid, I'm looking at them like, what did this poor guy do? He's just the wrong color. Like he's brown, black, I, who cares? Right. But I think they were brought up in a different era too, but they just didn't know any better. So to me, that's a form of racism in itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, and experience uh, a lot of times shape, obviously your perspective, right? Sure. I can be raised a certain way, but my experience at that point now should be able to also form or mold my opinion and perspective. You know, um, I think we got to broaden and widen our, our horizons as far as that goes. Um, I really appreciate you guys coming on. I really do. I, I, I appreciate you guys taking the time. I appreciate you guys honestly sharing your experiences, um, experience, uh, sharing you guys' um, family, culture. Um, you know, like I said, the way it's impacting you, um, I think it's tremendous. Um, I think it's imperative. Um, I think it's something that we have to have more often um, as these things, you know, continuously happen. And even when change does happen, because that's what we're hoping for, um, I do want to 
have you guys back on and also get a perspective of how it's impacting you still. Because like I said, I think the feel good story is just as important. You know, if we get to that point of making some change and things like that, I think you guys need to be able to voice that too, because I don't want it to be the only time we come to the forefront is when bad things happen or we only want to report the bad things. Well, I think there comes a point where, Hey, well, Hey, I'm starting to see some, you know, some change. I'm starting to see, you know, some things being shared, you know, shed some light on some positive things. So then that way, some people feel geared to maybe make that enhance a little bit more. You know, I think that's just as important. And I feel like we don't get those stories enough. So like I said, I appreciate you guys coming on. I appreciate you guys taking the time. Um, like I said, until the next time, I appreciate you guys coming on Move the Chains. And like I said, until next time, we'll continue to make things happen and continue to better our environment and better our communities as time goes on. Thank you very much. Thanks, RP. Thank you. Impact. What up, RP? Let's turn it up one time. You did. We move the change. You hear what I'm saying? Real players can relate because they the ones that was playing. Be great. Be Just great. wait. Yeah. We be really in the field. Really. Now we really on the mic. Speaking truly how we feel. Damn. For real. Yeah. Screaming hut one, hut two. Tell me what you gon' do. Yeah. Coming off that edge. Only way to stop is hold only you. Way. Never let the gatekeepers control you. Never. Once you lose your voice, now they definitely know they own you. But not I. Rob Phillips coming so fly. Pick yeah. six on the way. When that ball's in the sky. They say time is money. And I want the why? Now I know that's a goddamn lie. Let's go. Come and get game from the, the chains. Everybody love it when you move the chains. Haters hate to see me really do my thing. Move the chains, move the chains. Let's go. The, the number one podcast Move the yeah. do my thing. Getting this dough, you know how it go Grab you know. a seat and tune in, then tell me what you know Please. Back when T.I.P. said get it on the flow R.P. was on B.C. putting on a show yeah. For show, For screaming show. touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Uh -huh. Everything you want now Fans be the chain gang, game every month now every month. Don't even try to front now These new dudes be something like my son uh, now. Come on now I'm better than ever The game that we speak gotta be clever Ball hard no matter the weather no matter. I cheese for the picks while I'm counting this cheddar uh -huh. I'm my mama boy I never will let her never. So you know I gotta get up and run Just to come and get game from the Move the chains Everybody love it when you Move the chains Haters hate to see me really Do my thing Move the chains Move the chains Let's go Move the chains The number one podcast Move the chains Do my thing Come and get game from the, the chains. Everybody love it when you move the chains. Haters hate to see me really do my thing. Move the chains, move the chains. Let's go. Move the chains. The number one podcast. Move the chains, do my thing.